The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes? It is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The precious word of God for the precious people of God. Good morning, church. My name is Dusty White. I'm one of the pastors who has the distinct privilege of serving here at Cormdale Church. Where were you on 9-11? President George W. Bush was in Florida visiting an elementary school when news first broke out about the attack on the World Trade Center. His Secret Service detail made the decision to get to Air Force One and to get airborne as quickly as possible. But at the same time, they weren't quite sure the safest place to take him. On a day like 9-11, what stronghold would be the safest place for the leader of the free world? That was the question. After landing briefly at Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana, the national security team decided that the safest place to bring the commander-in-chief was to off at Air Force Base. 
and to the Stratcom bunker that exists for moments like this just down the road in Bellevue, Nebraska. Admiral Richard Mize, who was the commander of Stratcom at the time, learned that the president would be landing in about 15 minutes. So he prepared himself, he took his driver, one Secret Service agent, and a normal Chrysler out to Air Force One when it landed. No limousines, no motorcade, not much preparation, no fanfare. Mize decided to bring the president down into the command center through a fire escape. He had never used this fire escape, but it was made for emergencies such as this. He had the door opened from the inside. A lot of airmen in battle gear lined the route to the bunker. Brian Montgomery, who was the president's director of advance at the time, recalls going down into the bunker and going down, down, and further down. The few people who were still with the president that day likened it to some sort of Tom Clancy novel experience. They went directly to the command center. Screens, landline telephones, CNN had continuing coverage, and the president just kept watching the planes fly into the Twin Towers. And the fog of war was definitely in the air. Andy Card, the president's chief of staff, recalls it being tough for the military folks at Stratcom because all they wanted to do was stand and show respect that the commander-in-chief had just shown up, but they also wanted to sit down and do their jobs on what was a really important day in America. So everybody was half sitting, half standing, and not long after being in the stronghold of Stratcom, the president turned to Andy Card and said, I want to get out of here. I'm making it hard for these people to do their jobs. The president, in his own autobiography, writes about how there were pallets of food and drink and supplies loaded into the belly of Air Force One just in case that he needed to spend days or a week or so in Omaha. So on one of the biggest days in history in America, Omaha, Nebraska became a stronghold. And we all have strongholds. What's yours? When things get confusing, when you sense danger, when life seems out of control, where do you go? Where do you go? Maybe your stronghold is money. We tend to think that we'll be okay if we just have enough assets and enough money in the bank. And look, we should be wise with our money. But the bank and the market always take a hit at some point, so the money stronghold isn't safe, or you could say the safe isn't that safe. Maybe your stronghold is family. And we tend to think that we'll be fine if we just get the kids raised right, right? Uh, You know around here that we think a lot about biblical parenting, and so we should be intentional about biblical parenting, but guess what? The kids all grow up to be adults and make their own decisions. That's how it works. Maybe your stronghold is your work ethic. We tend to think that we'll be okay if we just work harder, smarter, or at least a little bit longer, and we should be honoring God with our best work. Christians should be leading the culture with hard, smart, and excellent work But we've also read Ecclesiastes, right? 
And we know that eventually our success at work can be done by somebody else coming up through the ranks and maybe even a little better than us. So work and success is an unsuccessful stronghold. Maybe your stronghold is politics. If we could just get the right people into office and elected, we'd be fine. Look, we can be involved in local and federal ways, but people will always let you down. Always. Maybe your stronghold is a relationship. There's someone in your life who just feels safe. They feel secure. They feel predictable. And what Psalm 27 is saying to us this morning is pretty simple. It's this. God is a better stronghold. That's the message of Psalm 27. God is a better stronghold. And if we believe that and live as though that's true, it will actually change everything. So God's a better stronghold for two main reasons that I want to share with you. God is a better stronghold because he alone protects completely. Psalm 27 verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Safety is we're born, we're born with a need for safety. We're born with a lot of needs. And at the top of the list is a need for safety. We naturally desire safe places. We naturally desire safe relationships. And David, with great confidence, is telling us right out of the gate in Psalm 20, 27 that his fears are going to be at ease because the Lord is the stronghold of his life. Verse, verses two and three, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Verse five, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. We learn from these verses that apparently there's an onslaught of evil people and it feels like an army is at war against David. And he fears no human being because he's telling us that God is light, God is salvation, and God is his stronghold. And so when he's encountering these folks that are coming after him, when he's really in need, he's telling us that he will be confident. And a life of faith in God is really interesting, isn't it? Um, I can say that I trust God all day long, but I know if I'm really trusting God in my days of trouble. In the days of trouble, when I face my days of trouble, that's when I know if I'm actually trusting God. Trusting God and letting him be the stronghold of my life is practicing the knowledge of God in real time with my actual circumstances. That's when we know if we're actually trusting God. Trusting God and letting him be the stronghold of my life is practicing the knowledge of God in real time with my actual circumstances. This is not lip service. This is a type of confident declaration. It's a declaring confidence in Psalm 27 that, is, that David is saying, hey, this confidence can be yours as well. Um, uh, I have some of you fooled. Uh, some of you think that I'm this like cool, calm, and collected kind of guy. Um, but actually, that is not true. 
uh, I'm actually afraid of quite a few things. Um, on a scale of zero to 100 on the anxiety spectrum, I just am starting at like 10 to 15, and I just go up from there. I'm actually afraid of a lot of things, and uh, most of the time I mask it pretty well around you, um, but you could say that I'm a fret forecaster. Uh, the people who are around me the most have seen the dark side of this, like my wife and kids and the elders uh, of the church. They see my fret forecasting all the time. Um, and sometimes they'll say like, hey, you were like so chill back there. And I'm like, well, yeah, because I was expecting it to go really bad. It only went kind of bad. You were just expecting it to go well. I was chill because I was expecting it to go bad. It's not the best way to live, on, live life, by the way. I'm typically alert. I check the doors before I go to bed. My wife grew up on a farm in Montana, so she doesn't check the doors. And so when I travel, I have to call and say, hey, you should check the door. You should shut the garage door. I usually put a kid in charge of that. Um, it just seems to go better that way. Um, but the reality is I, I'm, I, I live with this internal sense of fear. And there's a host of contributors to why this is the case in my life. Um, but now you know, the cat's out of the bag a little bit. I, I can be a mess inside often. And this is what happens. In Dusty's days of trouble, to use the Psalms language, uh, I weigh the options, I look at the variables, and then um, I just freak out a little bit more. That's usually what happens. Until my wife or a good friend prompt me and say to me, like, hey, have you taken that to the Lord? Have you prayed about that? To which I always answer, absolutely not yet. I'm too busy worrying about it and being anxious about it because that's my default. Friends, we cannot think our way out of anxiety. You have to trust your way out of anxiety. And for me, I sometimes believe that I can create the most protective outcome or situation. And while it is human to need safety, I'm often disillusioned that I can create safety. God is a better stronghold because he alone protects completely. Other things can protect a little bit. So it's okay to have some money in the bank. It's okay to lock your doors at night. It's okay to be biblical and intentional with your parenting. Go ahead and be wise. Just know that God is always going to be a better stronghold than anything that you could ever think up or practice because he alone protects, hear me, completely, completely. His sovereignty, his providence on your life will always be better than your most protective or wise approach. And this declaration of confidence can be ours through Christ because God has given us Christ. We have access to God as a better stronghold because of the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And right now, God himself might be saying to you, this might be why you're here, actually. You don't have to just sit here and listen to how these things were true in Psalm 27 for David. God might be saying, I can be your light. I can be your salvation, and I can become your stronghold as well. God is a better stronghold because he alone protects completely. And God is a better stronghold because he alone is always present. Always. Starting in verse 6, 
And now my head shall be lifted up, he says, above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You've said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Listen to that last verse. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. That verse might also be why you came here today. Some of you have experienced abandonment or pain from those who are supposed to love you the most. They were supposed to be there. They were supposed to show up. They were supposed to stand their post and be there for you. Or at least when something went down in your life, they were supposed to be there to help you sort it out, to help you make sense of it. And instead of that, pain. Instead of presence, pain. Or maybe for you, their presence represents pain. I have my own story in that regard. It also plays into the anxiety story that I just told you a moment ago. But listen to the scripture, friends. Verse 10, the Lord will take you in. He will. Uh, my parents had a really rough go at it. My mom got pregnant at 17. My dad was 20 and dealing drugs. And when you're attending a private high school, getting pregnant is not the goal. And upon the news of pregnancy, my parents were being shamed by some of the people that were given the task by God to love them the most. There was even pressure towards abortion that somehow they courageously resisted. And they were married for a brief two years. Knowing what I know now, that had to be a really long and interesting two years. And in God's providence, I ended up growing, with my, growing up with my grandparents because they took me in. So verse 10 hits different for me. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. It's a verse that speaks to what are supposed to be the most protected and the most intimate human relationships possible on earth. Yet, even those people can let us down. This is what stinks about being human. As long as you are a person, this is really profound, are you ready? As long as you are a person, other persons are going to let you down. That's how life on earth is. And even the people who are supposed to show up for you sometimes don't show up. And even if you have great parents, trust me, uh, I've been pastoring long enough to know that the best families with decades of Christianity in them have just, a, just enough dysfunction in them. So parents, let this be a sobering thought to us. We should be as intentional, as supportive, and as present as we can be. We should not let things and work steal attention and steal affection from family. But at the end of the day, we must be pointing our kids to Christ because we will let them down. 
and God will help them sort it out. They need God more than they need you, so you need to give them God. God more than the best education, God more than the best setup, God more than the best security. We must give them Jesus. God will take you in, and God won't leave you. He alone is present, even when it feels like he isn't there. God is there. You need the presence of God more than anyone or anything else in your life. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy, is what Psalm 16 tells us. So how do we rest in the fact that God is a better stronghold, if that's true? How do we rest in the fact that God is a better stronghold? Well, Psalm 27 actually answers that question for us as well. The psalm shows us that in order to rest in the fact that God is a better stronghold, we have to get both our short game and our long game right. So for those of you who play golf, that's for you, okay? You got to get your short game right and you got to get your long game right. The short game is this, seek. Look at verse four, Psalm 27, verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. As one of your pastors, uh, verse four is my longing for you. So if you've tuned me out, this would be the part to tune back in to just know that like verse four is really what I'm after, okay? Verse four is the cockpit of Psalm 27. Without verse four, we miss the entire psalm. So friends, today we come into this space, we come into this church, some out of good habit, some because we're desperate for answers of, to life. Uh, I spend most of my days trying to help people in their walk with God and in their circumstance, relationship, and trials that they face. But if you asked me, what do I do in one sentence, it would be this. I try and help people agree with God about how God sees them. We begin the Christian life by seeing ourselves as children of God. That is the beginning. And as a dad, I really delight in my kids. And David is saying in Psalm 27, verse 4, I just want to be with God more. Uh, right now, one of our kids uh, is at the family farm in Montana. Later on this week, I get to go uh, retrieve him there. He's doing stuff in Montana that I can't do here in the city uh, with him. Some really fun stuff. Um, now, I have five other kids to go around, okay? But I miss the kid that is gone. Why is that? Well, it's because I love him. And I long for him to be back with us again so that I can enjoy his presence. And it's his job to take out the trash. And for the last couple of weeks, I've been having to do that or figure out the delegation process for it. So we need him back. But mostly I just miss his presence. Friends, God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. And David is saying, I want to be with God. Why is that? Because the more I realize that God wants to be with me, the more I want to be with God. The more I realize that God wants to be with me, the more I want to be with God. This is fundamental to your Christianity. This relational attentiveness is key to your joy in life. God wants to be with me. That is crazy. And since I know that, I can experience that 
And once I experienced God's deep, deep love for me, my attentiveness to seeking greater passion and seeking greater presence for God is something that he gives me. And so the more I realize that God wants to be with me, the more I want to be with God. That's verse four of Psalm 27. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Like if you're gonna ask God for one thing, what would it be? Don't think about it too long. David is saying, one thing that I want, I just want more of God. That's what I want. So my way forward in life is to be with God so that I can experience being loved by God. So simple, yet so profound. Thomas Merton says this, to live as a son or daughter of God is not the stringing together of acts of virtue all day long, but rather living the life to which the obstacles of receiving love have been removed. So my way forward as a son or daughter of God is not to try harder, but to realize that God wants to give me himself and that he has gone to great lengths to remove the obstacles that are in the way of me receiving love from him. God is saying to us this morning, hey, I have removed I have removed all of the obstacles in the way of you and me being in relationship together. Seek me and find me. So seek, that's the short game. That is what we are to do. That's verse four. The more I realize that God wants to be with me, the more I want to be with God. So how do we rest in the fact that God is a better stronghold? We get our short game right. We seek God, that's verse four. And then we gotta get our long game right as well. And the long game is to wait. Oh, yeah. That's kind of wah-wah, right? The long game is to wait. Look at verse 14. The last verse of the psalm. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We don't like to wait, do we? I know that you've gotten used to the consumer society that we live in. I definitely have. Uh, I joked about this last week about Father's Day and Amazon stuff showing up that I couldn't open. Um, Like you can literally order anything you want whenever you want. And it's quite possible to have it at your door the very next day. You wouldn't even have to get out of your pajamas. That's kind of nuts, right? So. As we often are reminding you during a lot of our liturgy around here that being in a consumeristic culture and narrative is really strong around us, but Christian living is different. And all of these things on our phones and all of these things showing up on our doorsteps and all of this have it now product and services that we enjoy, here's what you need to know. That stuff is shaping you. It's forming you. And it's forming us to be a people who are very less able to wait We can't wait. And David is telling us, reminding us in Psalm 27, verse 14, hey, wait for the Lord. That's the long game. You cannot Amazon Prime the long game of biblical Christianity, friends. Psalm 27 is telling us today, waiting is a spiritual discipline. Waiting is crucial to our lasting joy. Waiting is how we actually experience the fact that God is a better stronghold. We wait with confidence. That's how we rest in the fact that God is a better stronghold. Waiting keeps us grounded. 
and being grounded is to wait. Uh, if you've flown and, and your plane has been grounded, you've waited. Uh, just a couple of uh, months ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to Florida. So we escaped for a couple of days and we went to Florida and we flew in and out of Miami, which not doing that again. Uh, if I don't have to, all of you people are nodding your head like, dude, you're an idiot. Why did you fly into Miami ever? Like, you should avoid that place at all costs. So when we go to come back, uh, we show up at the airport only to find out that every gate seemed like two to three flights deep, but nobody was leaving. Uh, a plane had been hit by lightning, and all planes were grounded in Miami, but they were just delaying flights. They weren't canceling anything. Until at about 7.30 p.m., Imagine on your phone, the entire airport getting the same notification at the very same time, Miami airport is shut down. That was terrible. It was rough. There's no rental cars, there's no Ubers, there's no taxis, and there's no planes either. And you've traveled before, and so you're kind of just at their disposal, right? What are you going to do? You're going to wait. That's what you're going to do. And so we were able to uh, escape there. They told us, hey, it's going to be three days before you get to Omaha. And I was like, three days? Sounds kind of extreme. I mean, surely we can work something out, you know? So like the next morning, I'm working on that. And then I come to realize, oh, it's going to actually be like two and a half days. So we realized, uh, like my wife and I have this conversation, like, we don't wait for anything. This is not how our life works. Like we make plans, we schedule things. So we had to like figure out kids, and, and then we realized, hey, we're in Florida, like not the worst place to be stuck. We're going to enjoy this. But we had to wait, and we realized, man, we just plan everything, and we don't wait for anything. So what are we waiting for, friends? We're waiting with confidence for Christ's return. Kidner, in his commentary on Psalm 27, says that this type of waiting is a stiffened resolve. As one of your pastors, I want us to be a people of stiffened resolve on the long game. I want us to be a people who follow God, hold to the scriptures, cling to the freedom that Christ offers us right now. Not just right now, though, but like forever. A people that can wait for the full, robust return of God. So we're waiting with a stiffened resolve for his return. That's what we're waiting for. God will do what he says he will do, and he will return. And so we can wait. Just the other day, I was driving, and I was saddened. I was thinking about people, which is something that you do uh, when you're a pastor. You're, you're reflecting and thinking. And I was just saddened by stories and faces that were coming to mind of people who have gotten out ahead of the Lord's blessing on their life or people who have just decided to not wait any longer and cash it in. Church, I want us to be a people who can wait. So we got to get our short game right and seek God. we got to get our long game right and wait for God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, and I'll get out of your way. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and grow weary, 
and young men shall fall exhausted. But they, verse 31 catches, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So church, when the money runs out or when the parenting strategy worked or didn't work, or when you just can't work anymore, or at least work like you used to, or when your politics fall apart or your relationships hurt, Psalm 27 meets us there and it says, those strongholds aren't strong enough. God is better. We need him. Young or old, we need him. Brand new to a life of faith, checking out a life of faith, Decades deep in a life of faith. Our hearts take courage because of his active deliverance will someday come. That's why he's a better stronghold. God's a better stronghold because he alone protects completely. He alone is always present. So friends, let's seek him and let's wait on him. And let's pray about that now. Father, you've given us the gift of prayer Prayer is your idea, and it's one of the ways that we can seek you and come into your presence and find you. And so we realize our dependence now as we pray to you, and we pray towards this. We realize that we're a people who get distracted, and we seek all sorts of stuff. And we gather here today to remind ourselves and to be reminded by you that we want to seek your face and to be in your presence It is wild to our imaginations that you want to be with us. And the more that we realize that you want to be with us, the more we realize that we want to be with you. God, would you give us this desire to seek you? Would you also give us the discipline to wait? Would we be a church in this city that waits on God? Would we be people who can wait on you for your active deliverance? And God, even now as we come to the communion table in a moment, we realize that that too is an act of dependence, seeking you in a bodily practice, a bodily sacrament, and also waiting on you to do it again with us later. Be with us, Lord, in your name. Amen.